Thanks for tuning in to Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. So glad you guys are here. Hopefully you've been able to catch some other pieces of the series. <clears throat> this is the last week of it today. If you've missed out on all of it or parts of it along the way, I hope you'll go back and pick them up on our podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find our podcast and check out the pieces you might have missed. But we're studying through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're searching for the meaning of life, right? And so uh, if this is your first time here or if you missed the rest of this series, what a good day to be here because we're going to wrap it up today. We're going to give you the meaning of life today. And so I'm glad you're here. I hope that you've been challenged studying through a book of the Bible. Maybe a book of the Bible is often overlooked or not often taught about in church or read through on your own individually, but we got to study through it as a family. And I hope that it is um, not just challenging in your mind, but also challenging your heart. I hope you've been able to see that uh, Ecclesiastes is just one book in a big book. And it's one big book about one big God. Get that in our devotions every Saturday, right, Sid? One big story about one big God. And uh, it all fits together. It ties into the gospel. And I hope you've been able to hear that and pick up on some of that along the way. But I want you to help me out today. Um, And uh, we're going to do the same thing we've done every week of the series so far, kind of recap it. But there's two phrases in the series that come up over and over again. And so Solomon, the preacher, he identifies himself as the preacher in this book. He's hunting for the meaning of life. He's searching for real purpose and fulfillment. And he says, I've looked everywhere. I need you to help me fill in the rest of the line. Where does he look for the meaning of life? Oh, Lily. Lily raised her hand. Rest y'all bad, stupid. Bad. No, I'm just kidding. You know, under the sun, they all know it. I'm sorry. I was going to actually give a prize out today for it too, but 30 people said it, so I can't, I don't have that many prizes with me. So sorry, Lily, you're out of luck. But uh, yeah, I searched everywhere. For meaning under the sun. What does he mean by that? He means by under the sun, everywhere on earth. I searched everywhere that you could experience anything on this planet. I didn't dive into philosophy or the theoretical. I just investigated everything you could touch or feel or try or experience in this world. Everywhere under the sun. And we looked at a lot of those things he investigated into. And along the way, we found that every time he tried something new or experimented with a new piece of life to find the meaning of this existence, he was disappointed. He found that there were holes to be poked in that, uh, that pursuit and that it didn't actually fulfill him. And so along the way, he was um, kind of concluding that each of these things he dug into weren't really the meaning of life. And so he gives this second phrase that he repeats over and over again. Does anybody know that one? Anybody got that one? Lily, redemption. Go ahead. Lily. What was it? Chasing after the wind, but she said it with a southern accent. Can you say it again? Chasing after the wind. Is that how you said it? Is that, yeah, she was chasing after the wind is what she said. But yeah, chasing after the wind. Meaningless, meaningless, right? Meaningless, meaningless. All these things are meaningless, like chasing after the wind. You're trying to grab a hold of the wind and hold on to it, and you can't, right? They're all worthless or meaningless, or some translations say vanity, Vanity of vanities, right? And so uh, he's digging for all these things. He's trying to find the meaning of life. And so far, he couldn't find it anywhere. And then last week, he kind of hinted at the meaning of life. He said that uh, first he told us that like there's really two main reasons why none of these pursuits under the sun can give us real meaning in this life. Does anybody remember what any one of them was? There's two of them. Anybody remember what one of them was? This is tougher because it was just one week. We didn't cover this every week. It was just last week. So... He said there's two main reasons 
why none of these pursuits under the sun can ever give you meaning in life. Anybody remember one? Emma Grace? What was it? Serenity. Serenity? Is that what you said? No. Oh, certainty what? Certainty? Certainty? It's close. That's half. That's half of one. Certainty of death, 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 death. She didn't want to say death is what it was. Yeah. Certain, uh, certainty of death was the other one. Anybody remember? The big problem with trying to find meaning in this world. Abigail? Life is full of irony. That's, that's wrong. I'm going to have to ask you to get married and not come back to our church in a few months. Is that okay? Anybody else? Allison, what do you got? Yeah, the unknowability of the future, right? The problem with trying to find meaning in this world is that at some point you're going to die. And along the way, you have no clue what's coming next. You can't tell the future. So no matter what you pursue, be it riches or wisdom, power or justice, having a family or having great relationships in your life, no matter what you try to pursue, the problem with those pursuits is that along the way, you have no idea how they're going to turn out a year from now. You could save and save and save, but all your money could be taken away from you in a year. You could put all the effort you got into a relationship only to have that person stab you in the back or leave you in five years, right? You have no control over the future. It's an unknowable quantity. And so the problem with pursuing anything under the sun for real meaning in life is any of it could be taken from you just like that. And even if it couldn't be taken from you because you don't know what's coming down the road, you got to face the reality that at some point you're going to die and none of those pursuits get to go with you. And you don't get to know how anybody's going to treat those things you leave behind once you're gone. No matter what you do, those two problems are huge problems in anything you pursue on this earth. That even if you could control the future, which you can't, there's no telling how what you save up or what you plan for or what you invest into or what you pursue after your whole life is going to be used after you're gone. And even if you could guarantee how it's going to all be used once you're gone, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, you wouldn't even be around to enjoy it. So how can that be the meaning of life? The meaning of life is something you're never here to enjoy? <laughs> that even makes sense. So these are big problems with finding the meaning of life. But he hinted last week at the one thing that could give our lives meaning. And I said, if you promised to come back this week, I'd tell it to you. So here you are. If you were here last week and you're not here this week and you're listening on the podcast, you're bad, just like those people that shouted out the answer without raising their hands, all right? Because you promised. So. But he, he kind of hinted at the one thing, the one thing that could give your life meaning. You have to go above the sun to find it. And it was trusting that God's way is better. Trusting that God's way is better. Kind of putting all of your trust, all of your hope, all of your belief in what God says, no matter what you see, no matter what you feel, no matter what you think, you trust that God's way is better because, and he gave us the reason, because God's the only one that provides an answer to the two problems we've got with all of these pursuits. All right, so this is how to find Real meaning in life. Now, we're going to dig into it. He's going to dig into it in the last chapter. But this is it. Trusting that God's way is better. No matter how I feel, no matter what I think, no matter what I see, i got to walk into each day saying, no, God's way is better. Whether I feel it or not, this is the way. I'm going to put that on the screen, okay? I want you to help me with it. Can you say it with me? This is the way. This, come on, one more time. A little louder. This is 
is the way. A little louder like you only had one donut, not three. We know you had more than one. Don't lie. Come on. This is the way. You ready? This is the way. That's excellent. And now if you can just find yourself a helmet, you'll also be a Mandalorian. But that is God's plan for giving us meaning in life. This is the way that we trust that God's way is better even when it doesn't look right to me. That's how I find meaning in this life because God is the only one that can offer you an answer to the two problems with every pursuit in life. Remember what they were? The unknowability of the future and the certainty of death, death, death. death. Anybody ever watch, anybody ever watch Trolls? Nobody watch Trolls? Like, all right, if you have kids, you watch Trolls. That's a, okay. So that's, God's the only one that provides an answer to those two things because what God offers us in exchange for unconditional surrender or trusting that his way is right, no matter what I think or feel, what he offers us is certain hope. Remember from last week, certain hope, which is exactly what I need when the future is unknowable, right? And everlasting life, which is exactly what I need when death is guaranteed. Is it not? So God provides for us an answer to the two problems with all of our pursuits in this existence. Certain hope and the guarantee of everlasting life. So he pokes a hole in everything the preacher found. He says, if you just trust me, I will provide exactly what you need to find meaning because I can overcome the problems with all the other pursuits. Does this make sense? This is what he hints at. This is what he leads up to the end of last week in chapter 11. And now he's going to kind of give his conclusion, the last thoughts from the preacher. So let me read them to you. It's in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. If you want to follow along, the words will be on the screen too. I'm going to start in verse 1, just read you some pieces of the first paragraph. Here's what he says. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed. Yes, remember your creator now while you are able. Okay, now remember that this is the preacher's journal. He's like leaving this behind to his son who's going to be king. It's his way of saying, I've done all this research. I want to train you how to be a wise king and how to find meaning in this life. Okay? And so you look at this, and he's doing the same thing for us down through the ages. He's trying to show us the same principles. He's kind of asking and answering these questions. How do I make the most out of this life, and how do I find real significance in this existence? So why does he start his conclusion off by saying, remember your creator? Remember your creator. Why does he do that? Here's, here's why. You ready? Because what he's learned through this whole investigation, through this whole social experiment that he's put into practice and now journaled about, what he's learned along the way is it's really, really easy to forget about God and just get focused on all these pursuits under the sun. And if you stop for just a second, you will realize that that's right. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you think God should be trusted or not, whether you believe that what God says is true or not, you have to admit that it's very easy to wake up day to day and just get really consumed with your own pursuits in life, isn't it? And days, weeks, years, decades can pass, and you've given everything you've got to your job, 
at the expense of everything else. Or you've given everything you've got to pursuing riches at the expense of everything else. Or you've given everything you've got to pleasure at the expense of everyone else. Or you've given everything you got to your family at the expense of what God says really brings meaning. Isn't it easy to let whole years pass and do that? I see this all the time in my own life, in the lives of the people around me. Isn't it easy to come to church week after week after week, year after year, but not actually grow in your faith? Isn't it easy to tell people you're a Christian and you're pursuing all the things God wants with your life, and yet years and decades pass, and yet you've never developed any real community with his church? You've never served anyone else? You're still not any closer to controlling your temper? You're still not any further along and recovering from some addiction? You're still spending all your energy pursuing your pleasure pursuing your riches, your power, your justice, your family, your kids, your relationships. Your... Isn't it easy to just get so busy pursuing your own goals and dreams and aspirations and pursuits in life that you forget about the one who made you? Isn't it easy? And Solomon learned that. So he starts this concluding paragraph off by reminding his son, by reminding us, hey, remember your creator. Honor the Lord. Remember him while there's still an opportunity to do it. Life is short. Don't waste it on all these pursuits under the sun. Remember and honor God with your life. Along the way, we experience all this pain, all this heartache, all this death, and people like to blame God for it, and yet we're the ones who just forget about him so easily. And C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, pain, suffering, and death, those are like God's megaphones to rouse a deaf world. Isn't it true that like life so easily distracts us from even thinking about our creator, let alone honoring him with the things we do or the things we think about? He's pointing this out. Now, he's not doing this so that we'll be miserable and, 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 and depressed, but he is doing this so we won't forget God. Because if we forget God, there's no way we're going to trust God. And what he's found is the only way to get meaning is to trust God. And so he's saying to his son and to us, he's letting us all know, if you forget God and give all of your attention and your pursuits to chasing after these things under the sun, you will find nothing but meaninglessness. Just like he discovered along the way. You'll be miserable, you'll look back on your life, and it will have amounted to nothing in your opinion. It will have been a failure. He's saying if you run after the same things the preacher ran after in his pursuit of this experiment, you will find the same things the preacher found. So the preacher paints this picture for us of a life lived without God. Not, not so we'll be miserable, but so that we won't be surprised when we find no meaning after pursuing these things. So we'll be able to look back like he said at the very beginning and realize there's nothing new under the sun. It's all been tried before and it's all been found wanting. And then he goes on. I'm not going to read this all to you, but you can read all of chapter 12 on your own this week if you want. But then he goes on and he kind of describes what his son's kingdom will look like if he pursues all these things under the sun. 
and, and just listen to it. I want to I tell you the things he says it's going to look like and see if it sounds familiar to you at all. He says, if you choose this path of pursuing all these things under the sun instead of trusting God, you'll have a, you'll have a kingdom that turns into a, a depressed kingdom without the glow of life where productivity vanishes and work ethic disappears. He says industry will close and people will hide themselves in their homes. Songs will no longer be sung. Depression will be widespread. Human drive will be low. And it will feel like you're attending a never-ending funeral. The only sounds you'll hear will be the birds chirping in the ruins of what used to be your kingdom. Now, think for just a second if that doesn't sound like our culture. Depression is widespread. People hold up in their homes, not getting to know their neighbors, not getting to know anybody. Work ethic is low. Human drive starts to disappear. You feel like everybody feels like they're at an unending funeral. Nobody's willing to sing a song. Everybody's kind of miserable. Doesn't that sound like the society we were living in now? Because we're all pursuing the things under the sun. And he's saying if the sun refuses to honor God, if we refuse to honor God, then we should not be surprised when our kingdom ends up just like this one he described. And then he ends all of his words in Ecclesiastes with the exact same words he started with. In Hebrew, this is called inclusio. It's like a literary technique. He ends with the same words he started with. Sometimes you'll see this in a song or in a poem uh, even in English today, a lot of times people who are professional public speakers or preachers, they'll use this in their sermons or their, their speeches too. They're ending with the same thing they started with. You'll even see this in movies or shows sometimes. But here it is again. He says, everything is meaningless. Meaningless. Completely meaningless. It's kind of depressing. But he doesn't want you to be depressed. He just wants you to be honest. This bleak outlook, it isn't to discourage us. It's meant to drive us back to the center where we trust God. Maybe again, maybe for the first time. The rest of the book of Ecclesiastes is written by somebody else. There's a paragraph at the end, and I call this guy the compiler. I don't know, he doesn't give us his name, but you only hear from the very first verse of the book. He introduces the preacher. And then the very last paragraph, he sums up everything the preacher said. Maybe it was a prophet, maybe it was a priest at that time. Nobody knows for sure who it was. But I'm just going to call him the compiler. And he's going to point this out to us in the last paragraph where the point of everything the preacher said isn't to discourage us. It's to drive us back to the center where God is important to us, where God is trusted and believed against. Let me read you what he says. It's in verse 9, starting in verse 9. He says this, Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise. And he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studied and classifying, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths carefully. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. If you're a note taker, write that down in your notes. Painful but helpful. Painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. Do you hear what he's saying? It's like the point of all of this isn't to discourage you. It's to drive you back to the Lord, the only one that can give you real meaning in life. 
Like, like you got a stick with a nail sticking out of it, and you're kind of like whacking the sheep to get them to go the right way. And it hurts, but it gets you going in the right direction, doesn't it? That's what God's Word is supposed to do. That's what the words from the preacher here are supposed to be for us. Painful, but helpful. Painful, but helpful. They're supposed to drive us back to the only thing that can give us meaning in this life. And then in verse 13, he kind of wraps up. That was good. In verse 13, he kind of wraps up this idea and he recaps for us the only purpose in life. Now, the preacher hinted at it last week. He's hinted at it along the way in the whole six-week series. We've looked at everything he says. But now this guy sums it up and kind of recaps it in a fresh new way to say it. Here it is in verse 13. This is what he says. Look. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Fear God and keep his commands. What's he saying? Fear God and do what he says. That's it. What's he saying? Trust God. Trust what he says to do. If he says to do it, have enough honor and respect for him to believe what he's saying and do it. He's not talking about being perfect. He's not talking about being completely sinless. What he's talking about is having enough honor and respect for your creator to actually do what he says to do and to believe what he tells you to believe. So don't tell me that you trust God if you keep doing what you want to do. And don't tell me that you respect and honor your creator if you keep going with your feelings even when they're different from what he says is true. And don't tell me that you fear God and obey his commands if you refuse to do what he's saying to do. Don't pull the wool over your own eyes. Be honest with yourselves for a second. This is the only thing that provides lasting meaning in life. Because when I fear God and do what he says, it shows that I believe him. Because my belief always drives my behavior. Always. I don't get it right. But don't tell me you love your spouse if you beat them every day. My belief will drive my behavior. I love me if that's what I'm doing. Don't tell me you love Jesus if you don't spend time with him on a daily basis. Your belief will drive your behavior. Don't tell me you love your church if you're not serving anybody else who goes there. Your belief will drive your behavior. Don't tell me that you trust God when your real faith and hope is in your bank account. Your belief will drive your behavior. Fear God and do what he says. Now what I'm talking about here is not trying harder. I know that's what it sounds like. Okay, do what he says. Keep his commands. Obey him. All that. Sounds like we're talking about trying harder. That's not what we're talking about. Fearing God, following Jesus, being a Christian it isn't about trying harder. You missed it if you think that right now. It isn't about trying harder. It's about trusting him. Did you hear us say that already? Did we say it over and over through the six weeks? It isn't about trying harder. It's about trusting him. I brought a present with me today, okay? I know it's little, but it's valuable. Sometimes valuable presents come in small packages. Is that, is that true? Okay. Okay. So this package is like a gift to you from God. It, in fact, it is you. It's your life. And, and it's like it comes cute and little, packaged up real nice. And then somebody brings you home from the hospital, a parent, 
a grandparent, a, a, a foster parent, a guardian, somebody who adopts you. Somebody brings you home from the hospital and they unwrap you. I'm going to try to unwrap it, but Stephanie wrapped this and she's like a professional wrapper, so I always tell her like they're just going to rip it open anyhow. And inside, oh, it's this like beautiful, colorful little thing. And you take it home, you put it in its crib, and you stare at it. You're like, it's so cute. And it's got a lot of diversity and character. And you love it. And you look, but, but it doesn't take you very long. Now, now, some parents, it takes longer than others because some parents are more delusional than others. But it doesn't take you very long before you look at your little life that you brought home from the hospital and you realize it's not perfect. It, it's it's kind of a little messed up, right? Now, some parents, it's like their kids are like eight before they realize that. But if you're being honest, every kid's, we're all messed up. We all cry when we don't get our way. We all dirty our diapers when we're babies. We all throw fits for no reason sometimes. We're, we're a little out of order. Our life is a little screwed up. But you're still cute and kind of innocent. You're just not perfect. That's okay. Nobody's perfect. And in fact, as a kid, it doesn't take you very many years of life before you're able to look at yourself and realize there's some things you don't really like. And there's some things that other kids make fun of you about. And you're like, oh, I am a little screwed up. And, and so you try to like kind of twist yourself around a little bit and make yourself look a little better. And you do change yourself some and you change the way your hair looks and you dress a little differently and maybe you start taking a shower or something because you don't want to get made fun of and you look at yourself in the mirror and you think like, I don't really like what I see there. And so I'm going to try some things to make myself look a little different. And you do succeed. You change yourself and you make yourself look different. You're like, I like the new me a little bit, but then it doesn't take you very long before you realize like, I did change some stuff about me, but you know what? I'm still not perfect. I'm still kind of mixed up a little bit. And somebody else points out something else about you. And, and every year of life passes and you kind of never get to perfect. And you always are able to kind of look at yourself and think like, I'm and then you come to church. And somebody's like, give your life to the Lord. And you're like, I'm going to give my life to the Lord. And you walk down front and they smack you on the head or I don't know what they do. And then you're like, great, I had this spiritual experience. And you go out fired up. You know what fired up is? It means enthusiastic, excited, right? You go out fired up passionate about the Lord. Now my life's going to be perfect and different. It doesn't take you very long before you realize, like, if that didn't work, I'm still a little screwed up and out of order. What's going on? So you try harder, and then you go to, like, a life group, and they're like, you should read your Bible. So you try to read your Bible, and you try to do all these things. Like, I'm still screwed up. I'm getting some changes in my life, but nothing's making me everything I want to be. I'm never seeming to reach the goal. I'm always still kind of in chaos. And you don't know what to do, and so you just start trying more things to feel better and to improve yourself. Maybe if I just get a better job, then my life will all line up. And it changes you, but you're still a bunch of different random colors. Maybe I'll get married, and that'll fix everything. <laughs> if you're in the room and you're single, I got news for you. That doesn't fix anything. It actually makes every problem you got worse, okay? So, yeah. And so you, you like, I'll get married, and you change that. And I go, that didn't work. I'm still, I mean, I'm different, but I'm still a little messed up. And you're like, well, I'll have kids because that'll fix everything. And 
Again, that makes everything worse. And so if you think you had a temper before you had kids, just wait till you have kids, right? And, and if you think you don't have enough time to yourself before you have kids and life is too busy, just wait till you have kids, and, right? And so it's like everything just gets worse. You, you think you don't have enough money now, like then wait till they join some sports team. You got to buy them shoes and uniforms and, you know, equipment so they can practice at home. It's like it never ends. And so you change some things, but you're still looking at your life being like, this isn't what I expected. Can't ever seem to get there. But the only answer you know how to do is just try harder. You understand that's not what we're talking about. That doesn't work. That's just like chasing after the wind. That's just like trying to fix the Rubik's Cube. But you just keep turning stuff and it's still a bunch of random colors. So then finally you come to three strands and you feel like you can understand the gospel. I don't, I don't know. Or you go to some other church that's really preaching the real gospel, and you're like, or you're sitting with a godly friend, and they share with you the truth of God's word for the first time, maybe, and you're like, oh, I want that. I want to I not just ask God to save me, but I also want to surrender my life to him. And, and you think, well, I'll just give my life to God, and then he'll give me the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will empower me to make all the changes I need to make now. And then I'll get, it all, I'll get it all pulled together and right. But that doesn't seem to work because that isn't what God agreed to do. He didn't agree to come live inside of you and give you the power to be strong enough to fix yourself. He's not, it's not He-Man. You're not like calling on the power of grace, grace whatever. He, he didn't do that, grace call. He didn't do that. He's not making you the master of your universe and giving you unlimited power so you can fix everything inside of you. That's not what he's doing. No, he's saying, give me your life. Give me your life. In exchange for that, I'll give you something back. Now, we called it certain hope and everlasting life, right? But what he's really saying is, give me your life, and I will take your life and throw it away. Couldn't do that before basic training, could you? He said, give me your life. I will throw it away, and I will give you a new present, a better present with a bow, so I could tell which one was which. So, I mean, God would know, but I'm not God, so, you know. And you take this present home, but now instead of coming home from the hospital, you bring it home from your church or from a tent revival you were at or from a dinner meeting you were at with somebody who shared the gospel with you or from your backyard when you were done reading your Bible and you had a conversation with the Lord where you finally realized what life was all about, what meaning in life really was. After studying through the book of Ecclesiastes, you bring this new present home that God gave you and you rip it open and it's cute and little too. But inside, it's all lined up. God wasn't promising to take your life and give you the power to fix it all. What he was promising was to take your life and throw it away and not remember it anymore and transform you into a brand new life. That's what he was promising to do for you. That's what the preacher is trying to tell us. It's not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. It's not about trying harder. It's about trusting him, the only one who can throw out the meaningless life and give you certain hope and everlasting life that makes you new and right and transformed on the inside. What the preacher is saying all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is that what makes our lives so meaningless is our insistence on pursuing with all we've got things that have no value. 
Things that can't be taken with us past the grave. Things that can't be guaranteed. What makes this life meaningless is our all-out pursuit of things that never bring lasting reward. Now just look at your life. And is he right? Because hard-earned wealth vanishes, he says. Hard-fought justice is perverted. Hard-sought wisdom doesn't bring clarity. Good people die young and evil people seem to thrive. Was he right or was he not right? That's all I'm asking you. He says it's like chasing after the wind. Now why? Why should I fear God and do what he says? The compiler is going to sum that up for us too. Now we told you it's because only God can fix the big problems with all these pursuits, right? Listen to how he says it in verse 14. God will judge us for everything we do, including everything, every secret thing, whether good or bad. God will judge everything we do and everyone who does it. This is good news. This is the hope of Ecclesiastes. This is the hope of the whole Bible. This is the hope of the whole world, that one day Jesus is coming back and he's going to judge everyone and everything. And those who have decided to trust him, to fear him, to honor him, to remember their creator, to do what he says, even when they don't feel like doing it, to those ones who trust him like that, he's going to give you everlasting life and a, a future full of reward. To those who reject that and decide they're going to spend their short life pursuing all the things that can't actually fill them up on the inside, that can't bring lasting reward, he will set all those things right and judge them. But he looks at us and he says, the choice is yours. I'm giving you this life to bring home from the hospital. And you get to decide what you want to do with it. Are you going to try to twist it up and make it work the best you can? Or are you going to give it to me in unconditional surrender? And in exchange, I will transform you into something brand new and beautiful with hope and everlasting life. This is the joy and the hope the whole Bible offers us. And what he concludes with is this idea of fearing God and keeping commandments, keeping his commandments, because ultimately God's going to decide what should happen to everyone. God's going to judge all of us. Are you going to follow him or chase after the wind? Because if you follow him, you get to live in Jesus' kingdom someday. And in Jesus' kingdom, all the things the preacher observed will no longer be true. All of our hard work will now get rewarded. All of the riches that God gives us will last forever. All of the injustice done around us will be vindicated. And nobody will die young. Nobody will even die. We'll live forever. Let me read you some pieces of the Bible that talk about some of these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this. We must all stand before Christ to be judged. Is that what he just said in Ecclesiastes? We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. The choice is ours. At the end of time, Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, says this, It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people and all who fear your name. Is that what the preacher just said in Ecclesiastes? From the least to the greatest. 
the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 2. John writes what he sees in this vision of heaven and the end times. This is what he writes in verse 2. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Is that what the preacher just taught us in Ecclesiastes? All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Is that what the preacher taught us in Ecclesiastes? It's not just some obscure book in the Old Testament. It's the one big story about our one big God. That if you will abandon all these pursuits under the sun and instead chase after Jesus, instead of chasing after the wind, you will get, you will get certain hope and everlasting life. You will get every tear wiped away and all pain will disappear. You will get an eternity with your creator in his presence, full of riches and rewards that will never end. Jesus said, you can't store up any riches on this earth that you can take with you, but you can store up riches in heaven that will last forever, that nobody or nothing can destroy and no thief can come and steal. This is the way. This is the way. Coincidentally enough, in the book of Acts, if you read through it, before the Christians were called Christians, they were called the way. Read it for yourself sometimes. And Jesus called himself the way, the truth and the life. This is the way. If, if you want meaning, if you want to just keep chasing after the wind, then forget what God says. And just keep chasing after all these pursuits that can't ever fill you. But just don't go around, if please, don't go around telling everybody, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I just do whatever I feel like doing. Nobody set the example of this like Jesus did. He looked at the cross and didn't feel like doing it. But it says he looked past the cross and he saw the joy waiting for him on the other side of the cross. And so because of the joy waiting on the other side of the cross, he endured the cross for us. That's the way. And so I endure, I suffer, I sacrifice, not because I feel it, not because I want it, not because it's going to be pleasant or it's going to bring me some kind of momentary satisfaction. I endure, I suffer, I sacrifice because I keep my eyes fixed on the other side of death. And I see what's waiting for me. I don't give my money to God because I have so much to spare. I give my money to God because I want treasure in heaven someday. I don't serve other people in our church and in my life because I need something else to do. I got plenty of stuff I'd love to do. But I do it because I want to be rewarded and hear, hear God say, well done when I stand in front of them someday. I don't dive into community and surround myself with other men and women who love Jesus because I need more friends in my life. I don't. I do it because God says I need it. Like he's smacking me with a stick with a nail sticking out of it. And I don't like it. And I don't feel like doing it. And I'd rather stay home, hold up in my house, 
depressed, without drive, all by myself, but I push into God's plan because I trust that His way is the way. Do you see what's being taught? Do you have eyes to see it? Do you have ears to hear it? Because if you do, the ball's in your court now. And you won't be able to stand in front of God someday and say, God, I just chose not to have community in my life. I just chose not to spend time with you every day. I just chose to hoard all my money to myself. I just chose to punch that jerk in the face when he treated me bad. I just chose not to love my neighbors. It won't work like that. Get ready to hear him say, depart from me, you who pretended to be one of mine, but were really a fake and a phony. Don't tell me you're following my son if you refuse to do what he says. Don't be a phony. He says, I'd rather you just be real. Just be hot or cold. Don't be this weird thing in the middle that shows up at a tent revival, walks through the doors of a church every once in a while, busts out some Christian slogan on your Facebook page every once in a month, and then goes and does whatever you want to do with your money, with your time, with your talent. It doesn't work like that. It's time to get real. Church of the living God. If that's you, it's time to get real. It's time to trust what God says is the way. To remember my creator. To honor him. To do what he says. To respect and fear him enough to keep his commandments. In Jesus' name. That's what it's all about. That's life. And that's the only meaning there is. Everything else, meaningless. Like chasing after the wind. You'll never, ever know. You'll never, ever understand. You'll never, ever get it. You won't ever understand that nothing matters more than Jesus. You'll never, ever understand that everything matters because of Jesus until you start living like nothing matters more than Jesus. Do you guys get it? I hope you have ears to hear this morning. I hope you have eyes to see the truth from God's word, to hear it in your head, to feel it in your heart, and to not just take it in, but to go out and live it out. Will you do it? I hope you'll do it. Don't let this book study, don't let this uh, series we finished, don't let it be in vain. Don't let it just be more vanity. Don't let it just be more meaningless. Let it go out, change your life for the better not by trying harder, but by trusting more. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for the people here who are internalizing your word and then going out of here and putting it into practice. God, will you give them the courage it'll take to do what you say? Will you convict our hearts enough? Will you prod us and poke us and smack us with the stick as many times as it takes to get us back to the center where we're remembering you? honoring you with our day, with our time and our talents and our treasure. God, would you just do whatever it takes to get us on the straight and narrow, to convince us to fear you and to keep your commandments. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday at 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park building. We hope to see you soon.